Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome, welcome. So glad to be with you. I'm Dr. Gina and this is Prime Time. We are here live at the Student Action Summit put on by Turning Point and it's exciting times here. There are students, thousands of students here. Now the very first day they were here, they were actually blocked out by the city of Palm Beach with absolutely no warning. I guess this was a mayor's order, um, but I understand that that was in some form rectified on the days after that. And by this point, I think everything is running a little bit more smoothly. There have been huge conservative rock stars here. Everybody's having a good time um, and everybody is just really, really ready to go take on whatever happens next in the political climate. But there's been a lot of discussion out there about, you know, what is it going to look like if if the steel is stopped and if the steel is not stopped. That is that is the pr primary conversation happening here. So we'll be talking to some people about that in the show as well. But the first thing we want to do, just like we do every single night on this show, is go around the world. And we're going to go first to our own Carrie Sheffield from our partners at JustTheNews.com. Carrie, what do you have for us tonight? Hey there, Dr. Gina. Happy Monday. So I want your viewers to know what is up with the stimulus plan. So we've heard our reporting from John Solomon, our founder, just what is in this $900 billion coronavirus relief deal that Congress just brokered over the weekend. $600 stimulus checks for each person, extended unemployment and small business loans among key provisions. So Mitch McConnell is saying that more help is on the way. Chuck Schumer is saying we are going to crush the virus and put money in the pockets of the American people. There was a holdout before on the Republican side. Senator Pat Toomey was upset about the Federal Reserve. He said he wanted to rein in some of the spending and the ability to lend by the Federal Reserve. And the folks over at the Heritage Foundation put out a report saying that they just don't like this because it goes way too far from their perspective. They say that the $600 for everyone blanket is really not being very, very targeted and narrowly specific on who needs help in this crisis. They say that it's got a lot of wasteful spending. They were happy, though, that President Trump was successful in his push to make sure that state and local governments are not getting bailed out specifically those state and local governments that even before the coronavirus were already having many major problems with things like pensions, overspending. And the president said, hey, we don't want to keep shoveling money to these state and local governments that were already in trouble before the coronavirus. That would be rewarding bad behavior. That does it for us. Dr. Gina, back to you. Thanks so much, Carrie. We appreciate that. And now we are going to go all the way to Jerusalem in Israel, and we're going to talk to Gal Kalev. Gal, what do you have for us tonight? Hi, Gina. Regards from Jerusalem. Like everywhere else around the world, we have a spike in COVID cases here and no restrictions. But we tend to look at the half full here in Jerusalem and stay optimistic. Hi, Gina. Regards from Jerusalem. Like everywhere else around the world, we have a spike in COVID cases here and no restrictions. But we tend to look at the half full here in Jerusalem and stay optimistic. And one of the side effects, if you will, of the restrictions occurs here every Saturday morning when observant Jews go to synagogues. 
Because of the restrictions, a lot of those services are now held outdoors. And what this creates is that when you walk around the streets of Jerusalem on Saturday morning, especially in certain neighborhoods, it feels like you're going into a block party of holiness, service after service after service. And therefore, you see a lot of secular Israelis that normally would not go in, uh, sort of linger, participate for a few minutes, uh, look at it from a distance. And this relates to the nature of Israeli secularism, uh, that unlike elsewhere, Israeli seculars are believers. 63% of Israelis fast on Yom Kippur, 93% attend the Passover Seder, and the vast majority of secular Israelis have a mezuzah on their door with biblical verses. So the religiosity is very much there among secular Israelis, but it's latent. And maybe the corona restrictions uh, provide a few more touch points between the Israeli and his religiosity. Back to you, Gina. Amazing to think that uh, you're on the other side of the world, Gal, and uh, we're all the way over here at the Student Action Summit with all this activity happening right behind me. And uh, but it's just we're so connected in so many ways, especially this very holy time of year. Thank you so much for all of that, Gal. Um, it was interesting because this week at our RAV Christmas party, Ben Burkwam had a chance to catch up with Matt Gates, and uh, I will add to that that I probably shouldn't say this, but Matt Gates is really good at singing wagon wheel on karaoke. I just feel like you should know that too. It was a great party, a good time had by our whole RAV crew and uh, and Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle showed up and uh, many others that were notable and we all had a very good time celebrating free speech and media, real media, the not fake news, right? And all the great things that are happening here at Real America's Voice. And anyway, I want to give you this interview because uh, I just felt like Ben Burkwam did such a great job with this interview with Matt Gates at the Christmas party. Here you go. On January 6th, you are going to oppose the the fraud, the election well, results? Look, what is it? if states didn't run clean elections, I don't think that we should accept their electors without debate and discussion and an opportunity to expose the fraud that toxifies the voting process that our fellow Americans ought to be able to rely on. So I'm going to join my colleagues in the House of Representatives in objecting, and I think that we'll have at least Coach Tommy Tuberville with us to, to have a Senate objection to, to mirror the effort. What do you say to, we have some senators out there saying, well, we can't, we can't get involved with this, this is a state, a state issue. My, my question is, well, what the hell are you there for then? If you, if you see this going on and you've got objections because of what happened in the states, what is the point of the federal government if they're not willing to, to stand up for the Constitution? You're so right. A Republican president has not been sworn in absent some congressional effort to object to their electors since 1989. So if the Bush win over Kerry was objectionable, if the Trump win was objectionable, then certainly this Biden effort that resulted from a tremendous amount of irregularity is worthy of debate, discussion, and that's why I'm going to be among the objectors. A lot of people are asking, what is the possible way to victory? And they don't understand that process. So if in the most condensed version possible, how do we get there? How does President Trump get there from here? Well, I don't know that he will. Frankly, there's going to be a second Trump term. I don't know if it's going to be in 2021 or 2025. But what I know is that what we saw in this last election, we cannot allow to stand without debate, discussion, and dare I say resistance. And so I'm going to object so that 
we have the opportunity to showcase for the country the fraud that eroded the legitimate votes. Donald Trump won, won an overwhelming landslide among the people who showed up to vote. And it's only when you separated the vote from the authentication process that Joe Biden drove up margins. And we need to acknowledge that, we need to expose that, and then we need to have a laser-focused strategy in state legislators to make sure that we have voter ID, that we have signature match, and that we don't ever allow another election to be stolen again. I don't want this one to be stolen, but if we lay down right now, we'll never win again. 100%. As far as I know, we're the only network that still hasn't called the election. What has happened to mainstream media or media, you know, we call it mainstream media, I don't know if you can call it that, propaganda media in America now. Well, the American people are losing confidence in corporate media because for them, I don't even think it's about profit anymore. I used to think it was all about profit, but it's about power. They want to control what you see and what you hear so they can manage how you behave. And that is not the America I know and love, and that's why I'm glad that there are people willing to step out, make the case for the America First vision, and I intend to make that case as long as the voters will allow me. God bless you, sir. All Last right. thing, can I have you do me a favor? We're, we're, we're doing a Christmas wish to President Trump. If you could tell him something right now, what would that be? President Trump, I wish you Merry Christmas, and I know all the value that you've given this country with America first priorities and principles. And I hope that the prosperity and joy that you've given all of us, you will be able to receive during this holiday spirit and in all of your days to come. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you, sir. Thank you Great. for being a warrior thank you. for this nation. All God right. bless you. I appreciate that. So like I said, a great time had by all. Great interview there by our own Ben Burkwam with Congressman Matt Gates. A little bit of insight for you. At the gala on the very first night of the Student Action Summit here put on by Turning Point USA at Mar-a-Lago, uh, Laura Ingram addressed the audience and she, you know, sort of put a cap on things and then talked about, you know, the future and sort of made it sound like, you know, maybe um, things were going to go along and it was going to be a Biden presidency, but it would, you know, conservatives would have a chance to rally later that kind of thing. Then, interestingly, um, Congressman Matt Gates stepped up and also uh, Governor Kristi Noem stepped up and said, uh-uh, we're having none of that. This is not over. We are still fighting. So you have a difference between even some of the most integral conservatives in the movement um, as to where we are right now. It's fascinating. Matt Gates is a fighter until the end, right beside the president, as is Governor Kristi Noem, as are a lot of the folks uh, that I've talked to over the weekend. So we're going to talk more about that. Another fighter who has been by the president's side from day one, he says it's not over either. I got to ask him the question that no other media has asked him. Coming up, former director of national intelligence and former ambassador to Germany, Rick Grinnell. There is more Dr. Gina primetime coming at you. Stay right where you are. Coming to you from Student Action Summit at Turning Point. Stay with us. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Uh, uh.
Welcome back. I'm Dr. Gina. This is Prime Time. And earlier, I caught up with former Director of National Intelligence, Rick Grinnell. Rick, amazing to have you in studio with me. You and I are old friends since before you were... Young friends. Yeah, very young. <laughs> um, since before you had all these amazing titles, and I'm so very proud of you, I know that you want to be known for a lot more than a first openly gay cabinet secretary. So I'm almost embarrassed to ask you this question. But I also know that my audience wants to give you an opportunity to comment on the fact that, um, you know, the Biden folks are making a very big deal. The Democrats in general make a very big deal of identity politics. And um, we have Buttigieg making a very big deal, in fact, a resume item out of uh, this, you know, openly gay is literally a bullet point on his resume, um, as you and I have discussed. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to comment on whether or not that ever mattered to you and um, and just in general, should that matter in the political arena and especially in the area of intelligence? You know, I would love just to talk about the substance of my work and the work that we have to do in public policy issues. And I think that's perfect. And I think it's yeah. a great entree uh, to, to an interview that I hope means a lot more than uh, someone's uh, sexual preference or political or identity. Anyway, we hear about the Bidens and, of course, the money that they've collected from foreign entities and governments. And, um, and we, we, we get so used to hearing this, Rick, that I think some people become accustomed to thinking this is just what politicians do. And maybe yeah. even they, they just become crass about it and think, well, you know, it's, an, it's a politician. They do this. They go to foreign countries and they get money on the side. And look, most Democrat politicians and some Republicans also started out as maybe middle class and then they get very wealthy being politicians. And so is that normal? And should we just think that that's part of the way politics goes and excuse it with the Bidens? You know, it's such a great question, Gina. I, I actually think shame on us for getting to the point where we accept and allow politicians to be corrupt and hypocrites. Because I think that's where we are. I mean, the hypocrisy question, I mean, you even look at Eric Swalwell. Um, you look at getting rich in office from so many politicians. Um, we now, as the public, have grown so immune to politicians who get wealthy in office and who are totally hypocritical on a variety of issues that it doesn't even register anymore. And I think that's not the Jeffersonian principle that we're supposed to be uh, pushing towards. Washington is supposed to be a place that's temporary. You know, we laugh about the swamp. We call it the swamp. And, and you know, it's a funny name and we think uh, it's apropos. But it's actually very intellectual when you think about it, because the swamp or a swamp is a place where fresh water and fresh ideas don't come in. Mm -hmm. It's trapped. It's stinky. And when you go there, you get smelly and you can't get out unless there is fresh water and a freshness to uh, from the outside coming in. I think that we're at the point where Washington, D.C. is pulling the bureaucracy and the bureaucrats all from the same labor pool within the Washington DC area. We, the public, have to get smarter and stop asking why they're not changing themselves. They love their city. They go to school there, they go to church there. We're asking them to give up power and we're asking them to make their city less than. And I don't think that that's ever gonna happen. We have to 
really send people to Washington, D.C. who don't care about the social scene in Washington, who don't move their kids there, and then they start caring about the schools there. This is supposed to be a temporary place. We, the rest of America, are the ones who go to Washington, D.C. with our representatives and ask how to make America better. This Washington, D.C. city has exploded. You go in cities that are struggling, not Washington, D.C. There's a crane, a new crane, and a new operation every time I go there. So we're feeding this beast of Washington, and we've got to stop. A, a lot of people say um, that a politician like Biden, um, their family, who's been so entangled with foreign governments um, and entities, so tied to some of our overseas en enemies. And this is proven now. This is not um, Gina Loudon making accusations. This is proven now. We have documentation. We have data. Um, what real life scenario do you see playing out if Biden is given the keys to the American Republic? Well, first of all, let's just look at the team of people that he's announced will be advising him. And the reality is, is they're all very pro-China. And Jake Sullivan has accepted the fact that China is a superpower and that we should just negotiate with them. And so we're going to have a complete change back to the, uh, the overplay of Russia. And this is where, uh, as DNI, I've got to be very careful with what I say. But the reality is, is that Russia is a problem. There's no question about it. We've seen that from the hacks. But China is a crisis. Mm. And what China has been able to do with our local politicians, our mayors, local elected officials, remember Eric Swalwell started this Chinese spy when he was a local politician. Mm. And they have uh, messaged to our politicians, the Chinese, that China is not a problem. Engagement is the best way forward. Now, I'm all for engagement. I think the president has done a great job of engaging on North Korea, for instance. He's said he would engage with the current Iranian regime. He'd give it a try. But we also have to uh, recognize that sometimes engagement doesn't work. We started engaging with China more than 20 years ago when we allowed them to come into the WTO. We thought that engagement would mean that they would move towards uh, the rule of law and capitalism, at least to make steps towards that. And what we found in those 20 plus years since we've allowed China into the WTO, they've manipulated the WTO rules, they've stolen our IP, human rights violations have gotten worse. They have not moved towards great, greater capitalism, the engagement has not worked. And we have to be much more cognizant that this crisis of China, we need to fundamentally change our strategy. I fear that the Biden team is going to actually roll back all of the progress that, that Donald Trump has made. Remember, European leaders were not happy when Donald Trump started to uh, take on China with tariffs. Uh, I was in Germany. And uh, Chancellor Merkel took 12 CEOs in the midst of us trying to bring the fight to China mm -hmm. on tariffs. She took 12 CEOs from Germany over to Beijing. They all signed contracts with Beijing. At a time when the West should have fundamentally been surrounding China and pressuring them, we had European leaders, while we were pressuring China, go behind our back and actually start doing deals with China. 
we, the West, have got to be much more clear-eyed about what's happened. And I think COVID has given us a chance, and I do see the Europeans getting much stronger with China in a post-COVID world because our economies have tanked around the world. So we see Chinese cultivating U.S. politicians um, and spending years starting at the local level, as you mentioned, helping them rise in pro prominence. Um, what is their end game? with the spies and the cultivation of American politicians. And where do you see that in four years? And I guess more than anything, if the Biden administration is successful in stealing this election ultimately, um, is it reversible at the end of that four years? Because you, you said they would put us back you know, on the progress that the president and you made um, in the Trump administration. But is that reversible at the end of that four years, I guess, becomes the next question. Yeah. I fear that the Democratic strategy over the last year on COVID to shut down our economy and to really penalize small business owners and to penalize young people from learning. And think of all the people, I'm a cancer survivor, think of all the people over the last nine to 10 months who have not gone to get cancer checkups. I can just tell you that I am supposed to go every three months to get my cancer check. And it's now been every like four and a half months. Mm -hmm. Now, there's gonna be people, there are gonna be people who get cancer over this last year because they didn't get checked. We, we have young people who are gonna fall behind. We've taken a year out of education and learning for our kids. China, on the other hand, has continued. They have gotten nine months to a year up on us. Mm. I would say that the Trump administration's only had three years to take on China because of these problems instead of four. So uh, I fear that the next four years of uh, any administration that doesn't include a Donald Trump strategy with America first, that the Chinese are going to uh, push us right into where they want to go. The answer to your question is what, is the, what do the Chinese want? They want to be the sole superpower of the world and we are in the way. And so we have got to remember that we've got to stand up to communist China, Chinese ways. I'll finish with this. COVID-19 was a terrible, obvious pandemic. The U.S. intelligence community rarely comes together to issue a statement. It's very difficult to get 17 intelligence agencies to all agree on anything. I can tell you as somebody who put forward a statement and tried to get everybody to sign off, it was worse than the U.N. Security Council. Mm. And I spent eight years there fighting over verbs, fighting over every single word. The reality is, is they did come together and issue a statement. And that statement was very clear that China was where COVID-19 started, and that this got worse because of the secret communist Chinese ways. Rick Grinnell, I know that our audience would want us to thank you for your amazing work as ambassador, um, also as a former director of DNI, and um, I just um, thank you for coming in today. Wish you all the best, and I know they would also want me to tell you to please go get your cancer check. <laughs> that is very important. I have, I have, and uh, I am cancer-free, but I'm going to continue doing that. Thank all right, you. Awesome, and, and have a wonderful holiday with your family as well. Thank you, and thanks for a long conversation. This is a great format. Appreciate you Congratulations on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you so much to former director of national intelligence, Rick Grinnell. Coming up, I talked to students about if they are worried about the possibility of being targeted just for their political views. You're going to want to stay around for this. Their answers are interesting. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you right after this.
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back. Good to have you all with us. I'm Dr. Gina, and this is Prime Time. Now, earlier today, I talked to some young people here, and I asked them whether they feared being targeted just for their political beliefs. Watch. Here at the Turning Point event, and, uh, you know, a lot of weird things going on, and I just wonder, if you're a conservative these days, are you worried about being targeted just because you're conservative? Yes, after seeing how professors and other students have reacted when I've expressed beliefs in class, like not radical beliefs, perfectly mainstream beliefs, conservative beliefs, that I like Trump in a class, people called me a Nazi and gave me a hard time outside of class and like were trying to tell me that they, they falsely accused me of using my laptop for... Um, which I have because you're allowed to and most people aren't unless you have ADHD, you're allowed to use a laptop. And they were saying that I was using it for things other than school, which is not allowed and which could get the disability accommodation taken away. But it wasn't true. I was using it to type notes. And that was after I said I was a conservative. And they told me afterwards that that was why. Um, yeah, definitely when I'm out in public places, I'm more careful about where I go. If I'm wearing anything conservative like this hat, I rarely wear it out in my hometown anymore, actually, especially if I'm going to go anywhere at night. or. By and what's your hometown? Uh, Champaign, Illinois. Um, otherwise, I'm not really. I don't really care at this point um, if most of my friends know I'm conservative or not. I've decided that anyone who doesn't want to be my friend because they don't agree with my political beliefs isn't worth having as a friend anymore. So I'm not as worried about being targeted by my friends. But based on a lot of the violence that I've seen on the left and how much I've been harassed on college campuses at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, um, I'm just not comfortable safety-wise always displaying what my political beliefs are. Yes, I am 100%. And in what measure? Like more, more in social crowds, more just walking down the street wearing, you know, like a USA shirt, um, more um, academically, more work-wise? I feel like, especially socially, because um, in today's world, especially the Democrats on the left, they have their own specific agenda. And once you don't fit that agenda, they want to shut you down and they want to cancel you. Because anything that goes against them, they're crybabies, honestly. And if, if anything that pushes against them and that they can't really deal with and fight, because they know they're wrong. Once they can't fight you, they want to shut you down. They want to get rid of you. They want to silence you. So being as a young conservative, I am very scared of being shut down socially, you know, especially in the workplace. Um, you know, if I say, oh, yeah, I support Trump, you know, I kind of get, you know, the, like um, kind of shunned away. So, yeah, I'm definitely 100 percent afraid. What about trying to just talk to them? Like, you know, just like real actual civil discourse. Um, I, I've tried that with some people. Um, I knew a friend of mine and he, you know, he's completely polar left, opposite left, as far as you could be uh, socialism. And he degrades you as a human being. Um, as, as soon as you pull up a point, he's, he attacks you as a human being. So at some point, you can't have a civil uh, discourse with somebody and uh, be respectful, And of course. But once they start degrading as a human being, that's when you walk away because you can't deal with that toxicity in your life. 
I'm concerned that due to the COVID vaccine, they're going to impose it on everybody. And through this imposition, they're going to target conservatives, attempt people to pressure, impose a card that Candace Owens was talking about on her Twitter, that you're not going to be able to travel, fly, or they're going to put restrictions on you if you don't have this card. And that's a really big concern for me. And do you feel like you've already been targeted because of your political beliefs? Um, I've not really experienced direct targeting per se. Um, my most biggest targeting is um, I was in high school. This girl was a feminist and identified uh, on the LGBTQ spectrum. Nothing against LGBTQ people. I've gotten along with some LGBTQ. It's not a broad statement. However, she really despised me. Just I walked through the room, she would attack me. And I think there was something ideological for her motives, jealousy. I, I don't know, but I think I have. But it was only once. It's not like, yeah, nothing major. Yes, absolutely. Um, I recently was walking down my street um, in Wellington, and I was wearing a President Trump hat. It was the day after the election, and obviously we were all disappointed on election night when we felt like the election was stolen from us. Um, and the entire time when I left my house, my dad said to me, are you sure you want to wear that out today? And the thought that he had to even ask me that question right. is concerning. And then the entire time I was, I was just walking on the street of Wellington. And Wellington is a very middle-class community that I, I've always felt safe in. I've grown up there my whole life. And I felt like I kept having to turn over my shoulder to make sure no one was behind me. Um, because you just, you just never know these days. You see, you know, BLM and Antifa going after innocent conservatives who are just stating what they believe. And it's just, it's not right. And the other night we were all standing outside because we couldn't get in here. Um, and I felt very attacked by our, our, the mayor of Palm Beach and the county commissioner um, who supposedly were stopping us from getting in here um, just because it was a conservative event. So I feel like our values and our beliefs are really suppressed. Do you think if this had... Um, been a protest against the president, um, there would have been a problem with the Palm Beach mayor? No, absolutely not. Um, I, like I said, I've grown up in Palm Beach my whole life. It is a very Democrat uh, community. And, you know, I've seen BLM has marched down I-95 before with no issues. And shut the highways down. Yep. And shut the highways down. And But the fact that we're out here and we're conservatives, uh, they have an issue with that. And, and they, they weren't social distancing when they did it. No, and none of them were wearing masks either. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what? what's the difference between us being here and talking about things that actually matter and Christianity and, you know, the right to actually have a vote and not vote three times, um, they, they have an issue with that. And that's that's not even just an attack on conservatives. That's an attack on America. And I also caught up with Congresswoman-elect Lauren Boebert. We are here, as you know, the Student Action Summit, Turning Point USA, Matt Gates, Rick Grinnell, and now I have with me Congresswoman-elect Lauren Boebert from Colorado. Uh, Congresswoman-elect, it is it is so exciting because so many are saying that you and your colleagues are the answer to the squad. What do you say to that? We are absolutely a response to the squad. Uh, for the past two years, a lot of women in America have been watching, they've been listening, and we saw a lot of women step up to run in the GOP uh, election. And it's because we are taking a stand and saying these women do not represent us. They do not represent our values, the America that we know and love, and uh, they don't represent the country that we are raising our children to send to. 
And so I think that's why we're seeing so many GOP women in this election uh, cycle. It's incredible. There are 17 of us and not one woman ran on the fact that she was a woman. Uh, we, we, we were just the best, the best person for the job, the best person with the most passion to carry out uh, these policies and principles that help keep America, the, the, the country that we love, the most exceptional country on the face of this earth. And so if you if you have that face to face moment with someone like AOC, what will you say to her? You know, if, when I get the opportunity to speak with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I want to tell her my story. I want to tell her that I was raised in a Democrat home and we believed in those failed policies. We thought that that was the best way to live life. But it was a cycle of poverty that we were stuck in. At 11 years old, I stood in line for bread and cheese and I learned firsthand that that's not America's best. That is not the American dream. When I went to work and I put my hand to something to create wealth and I brought my mom home that first paycheck, there was pride and empowerment that no government program could ever replace. And uh, that's something that I've carried with me all throughout my life. Now I'm a business owner. I get to create opportunities for people and, and really influence their lives for, for the better. Uh, and I get to create jobs and keep those jobs and sign the fronts of paychecks. I wish that more members of Congress had the life experiences that I've had. Yeah, sounds like it, because I think that's the way our founders intended it to be. You know, it wasn't meant to be a career like somebody like Joe Biden has made it, where he's been in office, I think, longer than most of us have been alive. Yes. Um, it was meant to be something that you went and you served your time because you had a real career where you actually made your money there, not inside of politics. So I love that. And I think Americans are served well by that. Um, but I wanted to ask you, you've made some headlines because you have said that you are going to carry a gun. Um, when you serve. Now tell us about this because I know Washington DC in particular, you can't carry a gun there. So exactly how are you doing this? Yes, yeah, so I have gone through the concealed carry courses in Washington, D.C. to obtain my concealed carry permit. Uh, so I will be able to legally carry a firearm in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., like most Democrat-run cities, is a very dangerous place. Uh, the violent crime rate is extremely high. It's 128 times higher than the national average. They have a violent crime problem. And I, I will be walking from my house in D.C. to work each and every day. And I need a way to protect myself. Uh, you know, being a representative, I don't have an armored car that I, I get escorted to in the Capitol or, or personal security. I am my security and I need a way to protect myself. I'm five foot zero, 100 pounds. I, I need an equalizer to protect myself against a potential stronger aggressor. And that's why I started carrying a firearm to begin with. In 2013, when I opened my restaurant in Rifle, Colorado, there was an altercation where a man was brutally beaten outside of my restaurant. And that prompted the question in me, how am I going to defend everyone? And that's when I took advantage of Colorado's open carry laws. So since then, I've uh, become an advocate for our Second Amendment rights, um, even as far as telling Robert Francis O'Rourke that he's not taking our guns away from us. And I did that as a mom and a citizen. And now I am uh, going to Washington, D.C., where our rights should be upheld the most. And I will exercise my Second Amendment rights. I will carry in D.C. and I will carry in Congress. Do I get to ask what your uh, carry arm of choice is? I like a Glock 43. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a car 45 girl, so, <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Congratulations on everything that you're doing, and thank you for the sacrifice that it takes to serve. I'm a wife of a former senator. I understand those things. What are you looking forward to the most? Uh, I am just looking forward to bringing these conservative values to D.C. and representing the people who sent me there. Uh, too often, politicians 
get to D.C. and they forget who they work for. They overregulate, overtax and overspend and destroy everything that the people back home are trying to build. Uh, the, the greatest part about campaigning and, and running for office is the connections that have been made with the people. And uh, I, I'm so excited to be the first woman and the first mom to, to represent and serve the people of Colorado's third district. So I want to get our economy going. I want to get us back open for business and give the people of Colorado the representation that they deserve. Congresswoman-elect Lauren Boebert, thank you so much for being with us. But we are going to come back to you with more coming up in this next segment. So you're going to want to stay with us. Lots of exciting stuff happening here at Turning Point at the Student Action Summit. It is not a moment of boring. Let me assure you of that. We've got some great interviews and things. So stay right where you are. More Dr. Gina primetime right after this. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. We are reporting to you live from the Student Action Summit here at Turning Point USA. And happy to have with me tonight, uh, Hogan Gidley. Gosh, how many roles have you played for this president? It's been quite a few, actually. But yeah, all of them it has have been, been a few. Wonderful. I've enjoyed every one. Rip through them for me? I was principal deputy press secretary in the White House. I was deputy press secretary in the White House. And now I'm national press secretary for the campaign. So a lot of things. A lot of things. And uh, and, and you've spent a lot, of, a lot of time with him. What are your predictions really? I mean, we, you know, we hear this controversy, you know, I don't know if you were at the gala the other night, but I heard that Laura Ingram kind of like made it like she was going to put a cap on it. And then I heard that Congressman Gates got up and he's like, oh, no, 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 we are not giving up. And then I heard that uh, Governor Noem said, oh, absolutely not. We are on it. We are here still in it to win it. Um, where's the president on this? He's in it to win it. Uh, we were in the Oval a couple days ago, and he basically said, look, we're still going to fight this thing. You can't take a look at what we've seen around the country with so much fraud, so much abuse, um, illegalities, irregularities, uh, anomalies. And all the evidence is now coming out. And Democrats said that Russia was going to interfere with no evidence. And they said Donald Trump was ruining the post office with that he was tearing up mailboxes. No evidence of that. Um, now we actually have real evidence of of all types of issues across this country that we've seen with with the vote. I mean, a lot of dead people voted out there, Gina, and they didn't just vote. They actually requested ballots. They filled those ballots out and they wouldn't cast ballots. <clears throat> and look, um, that, that's that's clearly fraud. But then there are a lot of other things that are just illegalities. So in Pennsylvania, for example, when you have 2.6 million people vote by mail and they don't signature check, that's against the law in Pennsylvania. And so the Constitution is very clear that these states are designed giving the responsibility to legislatures to decide how they're going to conduct elections. And in a lot of these states, they violated that Constitution by letting rogue, partisan, liberal secretaries of state change the law. Some election boards tried to change the law. And even some Supreme Courts in the states changed the way they conduct elections. That's unacceptable, and I think the president's going to do everything he can to get to the bottom of that, but also all of the instances of fraud across this country. Here's one of the one of the conservative, I don't know if you'd call it a conspiracy theory, but one of the thoughts I'm hearing out okay. there, and I actually tweeted this today um, because I just wanted to hear other conservatives' thoughts on it or other com people's comments on it, um, 
if the president were to stop the steal, as many have been hashtagging out there in social media world right now, he would be dealing with um, a Congress that is, you know, a little haphazard. And uh, even if he may, even if we maintain the Senate, right, he'd still be dealing with, you know, the Congress and minority. However, you get a glimpse into the deep and evil eyes of socialism for four years. And a lot of people think that the president has a vision for a moment where America says, uh-uh, no way, we take back the House, we take back the Senate, now we've got the presidency, now he could literally have carte blanche to do anything he wants, Hogan. How viable is that? Well, it's a little bit viable in the sense that we, we obviously <clears throat> narrowed the gap in the House, which was a big victory for us. Remember, all the pundits and all the prognosticators, all the polls said that we didn't have a chance that Pelosi was going to expand her lead. She didn't. It, it really shrank. So if the president, um, you know, if we can if we can right the wrongs of this past election, give him another four years, then what you'll see is a president um, with a tailwind behind him of, of record-setting success and record-setting time in the first four, looking at what his agenda will be for the next four, and you'll have a Congress now that is that is shrunk so so close to the margin that the American people understand they liked seeing what President Donald Trump did for them. They liked having more money in their pocket. They liked the fact that African Americans and Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans and women saw record high employment numbers. That's all because of, of President Trump. And so I think the American people dictate a lot of this. <clears throat> and right now, what they want is an end to this virus. The president did that. With, uh, with Project Warp Speed, despite the fact that Joe Biden's trying to take credit for it and the media are trying to give it to him. Juan Cuomo's trying to take credit for it, too. Cuomo, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. He, 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 there's a lot of blame to go to Cuomo. He gets no credit in my book. Exactly right. <clears throat> but, I mean, you know, those successes can be build, built upon, and I think the American people want that. But we have to do one hurdle at a time, and right now it's just a state-by-state, -state systematic, um, you know, uh, correction in what, what, what occurred. And so... If, if if it doesn't go away, and if Joe Biden uh, does succeed in stealing this election from the people, Hogan, how do we go about the business of doing what you and I have always done? We've known each other for years and years, and we've been doing this for years and years, recruiting candidates, talking people into putting themselves out there and being vulnerable to a population where they, we annihilate candidates to begin with. Um, Republicans are good at circular fire. Um, we're not as good at defending our own as the Democrats, who are really good at circling wagons. How do we talk people? into putting themselves through all of that, Hogan, and then knowing that they might have it stolen from them in the end. Well, because just the way, it, <clears throat> just because something is a certain way now doesn't mean it's always the way it has to be. And I think exposing a lot of what we saw with video evidence, um, with voter rolls showing that, you know, Nevada, 42,000 people voted twice. I think people are starting to understand, wait a minute, this really is serious. And when you take a look... Let at me ask law, you something. Yeah. Have you heard from one Democrat who cares? One. <clears throat> no, but I, I will say what's interesting is, <clears throat> as I mentioned before, they said Russia was going to interfere. They said Donald Trump was putting Amy Coney Barrett so she could help steal the election. Hillary Clinton told Joe Biden, don't you ever concede. This election is going to be crazy. It's going to be chaotic. And then all of a sudden they think that Joe Biden's winning and you don't hear them talking too much about right. election irregularities at all. They were the ones who said for four years that Russia literally hacked into our machines and changed votes for Donald Trump. So let's let's start and stop with the people who've been you know pushing these lies forever. And that's the Democrat Party. But I do think Donald Trump is the only person out there with the guts, toughness to expose what's going on. And the more people see it, the more upset they become. And they're going to want that. Um, they're going to want that corrected in the future. There's just no way around it. I mean, they, they, the American people want to know that their vote counts, that one vote matters, and that they can have confidence and faith in our election. 
uh, process, and right now they just don't. And so I think we have to make that we have to make that an issue in upcoming campaigns. Uh, the president was rumored to have been going to show up here the very first night. Do we know why he didn't? I don't. I've not spoken with him about that. But look, he's dealing with coronavirus. Obviously, he's been doing a great job there. But we also know, um, you know, he's he's also talking to attorneys and others about. Um, what we're finding out in, in a lot of these states. And right, because I mean, his legal team was supposed to show up too, and they also did not show up. Correct. And I yes. can't get ahead of anything that Rudy and the, and the team is looking at doing. Uh, but, but you know, they, they, they have a few, few arrows still left in the quiver, so we'll see what happens. Okay, that's exciting. And just one last thing. I think people want to know that uh, the president is going to get some, and you're losing your voice and I'm losing mine. We're, we're almost done here. <laughs> but uh, but um, at the, uh, I think people want to know that our president is going to get some downtime with his family because he's had so little time out of the beltway, you know, even in the last, since COVID started. Um, do you have any idea what his plans are for Christmas and if he's going to get some of that R&R and maybe a little time on the golf course here at Trump National? I hope so. I mean, the guy never sleeps. He works all the time. You know that. You've known him for a long time. Um, I don't know. It looks like uh, the plan is usually to come down here, obviously, for Christmas and then spend New Year's here as well. And they, he and the First Lady monitor Santa's activities on Christmas Eve, too, for the kids. And that's always fun. So chances are he'll be down here. But, you know, I, I don't want to get ahead of his schedule by any stretch. No, you know. <laughs> always good at taking that little bit of out. Um, any any comments just to kind of wrap up the whole SAS, uh, the whole SAS experience? Uh, yeah. And the young people, i really like you to speak to them specifically. I, I, would, I will. Um, I, I, this is my first one. I've, oh, ne really? I've never seen anything that. like it. And, you know, I walk around this, these halls and I watch these kids talking to each other. I just go by a group just outside the door here, and they're talking about different articles to the Constitution and what they mean, how it impacts Second Amendment. I heard another group talking about pro-life. I just walked past a group of four people holding hands, praying with each other about this event for the country, for the president, for our opponents. I mean, if... if, if if this is an accurate representation of the future of our country, this country is going to be in, in great hands. These kids are amazing. They're engaged. They want to help. They appreciate the fundamental goodness and strength and compassion that is America. And, and I think um, they wear it on their sleeve, and that's helpful. What a beautiful way to end, to end this event and to end this interview and to end the show tonight. Hogan Gidley, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, thank you to all of you for joining me tonight. Thank you to everyone here at your new home for real news, the uncensored, undaunted, real America's voice, live from Studio 6B. Coming up next, hug your children, love your God. You go boldly now and live the truth. Good night.